Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bon Voyage Language Experience. I am your language lady, Elizabeth Porter, and today I have a ton of different topics that I want to talk about with you. Um, As many of you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the news right now about this um, novel coronavirus or COVID-19. And um, I just want to give you my thoughts on that. And then I have uh, I have been working on a talk that I am doing in uh, Texas, and it's on performance-based learning or experiential learning through thematic units. And as I've been working on this, um, I've had a lot of questions from language teachers who have said to me, well, I really don't know how to teach with a thematic unit. And I've always taught this way. So I was a little bit perplexed and started doing a little bit of research So I want to talk about how to teach in the language classroom and just in general um, through thematic-based units and experiential learning without testing. Um, But first, I just want to recognize our new program sponsors at Bon Voyage. Uh, The first is OWL Educational Services. It is a tutoring service for all sorts of different subjects, and OWL is great. They're great supporters of Bon Voyage, and we're very glad to have them as a program sponsor. Um, And I also want to recognize my dear husband, David, who has contributed a lot of money to our school and our programs to help us move our... um, our programs forward. So um, I'm really excited to start accepting sponsors into the program. This really helps us give scholarships to students. And if you are interested in becoming a program sponsor, I will put the information in the show notes. Um, We also have a brand new training for teachers. Um, It's the performance-based assessment training. And we also have our Language with the Five Senses certification training, and all the profits from these uh, professional development trainings that we have go to directly to our students for student scholarships. So um, I will put the information in the show notes for those as well. So right now, I'd really like to talk about coronavirus. Um, I, as you all know, Uh, As I said in the last episode, I tripped over my dear Oscar dog, and he's he's a little beagle, and I fell and dislocated my elbow and broke my ulna and my humerus, and um, yeah, so my arm is broken, and I've been doing everything one-armed, and I had to wait to go to Costco um, because I couldn't go by myself, like I I can drive to Costco, but like lifting stuff and carrying stuff, no, that's not happening. So I had to wait <clears throat> to go to Costco until um, my husband could go with me. So it's been like two months since I've been to Costco, and we are desperately out of toilet paper in our house, amongst other things. And we get to Costco, and it's just insane. I mean, Costco is just crazy, crazy insane. And um, there's no toilet paper at Costco. Now, I'm from Kirkland, Washington, where this outbreak is happening right now. 
And I'm scheduled to travel next week to Texas, and then I'm scheduled to travel to Europe um, in April, like second week in April. And I'm scheduled to travel a million other places in between and then back to Europe again in July and then back to Europe again in October. And a lot of people are asking me, you know, first of all, going back to the toilet paper, I'm kind of skipping around here, I know. But people are like buying up toilet paper like you wouldn't believe. I mean, there there is no toilet paper to be found anywhere in the state of Washington, I am convinced. Um, and bottled water as well. And I think this is just mass hysteria. It's <laughs> it's it's crazy. I mean, this this whole thing is um it's it's pandemonium and panic and all and all of that. So um anyway, so people are asking me, you know, what do you think? Are you are you canceling your travel plans? Um and my answer is no, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. Obviously, we need to um take precautions and wash our hands. I was listening to NPR this morning and what the doctor expert on NPR was saying was this is not an airborne illness. It's carried, it's a respiratory illness that's carried on droplets. So like if you're right next to somebody and they cough on you or sneeze on you, that's great, but it's not going to infect an entire airplane of people. Um, just using, you know, common sense, wash your hands, don't touch your face, etc. I'm not, I'm really not worried about getting it um, because I am young-ish and healthy and um, I, I would worry about giving it to somebody who has a compromised immune system. But for myself, I think I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not canceling my plans over it. But I think what the biggest issue here that I wanted to address was the fact that there has become so much um, fear of certain populations of people, you know, because this has come from China. I, I hear a lot of talk about, you know, saying negative things, using this as an excuse to basically badmouth people in Asia, specifically China. And that I don't, I don't, I don't think is necessary. Um, you know, obviously this happened and, you know, we don't know why, but it's not an excuse to be racist or xenophobic or anything like that. There's, there's no excuse to be intolerant of other human beings around this planet. And I believe that, you know, we are all humans on this planet. They're suffering maybe even more so and than here. Um, and there are, there are real people. I mean, there are real implications for people all over that are dealing with this. Um, and I was listening to a report yesterday, again, on NPR, about um, the people who live in the countryside in China and how they're dealing with it. And basically, you know, it's it's going to have real implications, you know, economic implications for for everyone. Um, and the biggest thing is that they were saying is they, they really want to make sure that people can stay employed and keep their livelihood. So, um, you know, there's no there, – I'm just going to put this out there. There's no reason at all – to 
to use this as an excuse <laughs> to be a jerk to other people around this world. Um, you know, we're all human beings. We're all in this together, I guess you could say. So anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox now and switch gears and let's talk about performance-based learning, performance-based assessment, um, experiential learning. And I, again, um, as I was working through this unit, because, you know, I, I am a, a linguist and a language teacher, but I'm also, um, I also have a master's in elementary education, taught elementary school for several years. And I was also a curriculum specialist for world languages. And one of the biggest things that I found was that when I taught, and I, and this was early on, like in the, the experiential learning, um, movement, I guess you could say. I, when I taught elementary school, I taught in a bilingual school. Um, and I designed all of our social studies and, um, English language arts curriculum. Um, and when I was doing that, I did it through thematic units. And I found that when I did not test my students, instead, when they went through experiential learning tasks and did a final project at the end, they had greater levels of achievement and retention than if they were to learn something and take a test. So I taught fourth and fifth grade, a fourth and fifth grade split class. And then I also taught a third grade class. And in my fourth and fifth grade split, we did um, social studies unit. I What I did was I went through the standards for Washington State at the time. And I looked at, okay, this is what the state expects them to learn. And I designed these units around the topics that were stated in the standards. And so we did a unit on um, the revolutionary. Well, we did one on colonialism. So we started out with um, early colonialism. So we talked about like Williamsburg and Jamestown and um, Plymouth. And then we moved on to the Revolutionary War. And my students, they loved the Revolutionary War. I, I incorporated. And, and what I did was, you know, I was in charge of social study and of, of designing the curriculum for social studies and English language arts. And what I did was I merged those two things together. So I made sure that it was all cross-curricular. So we did a lot of specifically social studies things, but we also did a lot of English language arts. So we read Johnny Tremaine um, and we studied each of the battles. I did, um, there was a series on PBS at the time called um, A History of Us and that was very, very well done and we used that. And there was a, a series of books that went along with it. Um, and then I also brought in some of the more um, non-traditional sources because, you know, as, as you know, in the United States with uh, social studies, it's not all 
it didn't happen exactly the way it was presented. So I brought in some of those. Now I was in a bilingual school and it was a private school. And so I had a little more leeway. But this was, you know, in the early 2000, mid 2000s, no, early 2000s. And, um, you know, I, I, my students, they were learning. You could see it. You could see their wheels were turning. We did. Um, I also designed a science unit on dinosaurs that the students absolutely, absolutely loved that went um, across with math and and. English language arts as well. So the the biggest thing with performance-based learning and or experiential learning with thematic units is to find ways to uh, merge across curriculum. Um, one thing that I noticed when I started teaching specifically languages and uh, doing acting as curriculum specialist for languages was that you know, a lot of teachers were a little afraid, not afraid, afraid is not the right word, but nervous about um, how to do, how to set up thematic units, how to teach through thematic units, and especially for those upper, upper levels. And what I would explain was, well, a lot of times the curriculum is set up in a way that is through a thematic unit. Um and you can definitely adapt this curriculum to to become this thematic unit. Um, but and a lot of teachers say, well, this takes a lot of work. How do you do this, you know, without testing? Now, all of you know, I've said before that I'm very, very, very anti-testing of any kind. I do not like testing. Um, I don't ever, ever, ever test my students. I don't give them oral tests. I don't put them on the spot. I don't give them uh, my kids. My personally, my own children are always pulled out of testing. Um, you know, they're, they're out of the standardized testing. Um, I have a lot of opinions and thoughts on the people, the 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 major curriculum writer, the ma major curriculum publishers in the United States, spe specifically one curriculum publisher. I don't want to get myself in trouble quite yet with that one, but um, I, I have lots of opinions that are quite negative um, around that particular company. Um, but I think that testing our students, no matter if it's a standardized test or a speaking test or a pop quiz or, you know, whatever, it causes anxiety and it causes a lot of block issues with blocking when especially when it comes to language because we don't want to ask kids to produce language before they're ready i also believe that testing is not an accurate measure of linguistic advancement and it's i mean you take tests in life but honestly like the reason most people take a language is so that they can travel and speak with other people and interact with other people, um, not so that they can sit down and write it down on paper. So we want to make sure that we're giving students tasks that actually help them to apply the skills that they're learning. Um, and I also find that, especially in the language classroom, testing often promotes translation. 
because they want to be accurate and it makes them nervous to not be accurate, to not get the right answer. And so I find that experiential learning shows students that there are several different pathways to get to where they're going to achieve what they are trying to achieve. So when I am designing um, an experiential learning unit or a thematic unit, I don't include tests. It's 100% experiential learning with performance-based assessments. That means that every single time I assess the students, whether it's a formative or a summative assessment, um, just for those of you, um, if you are not a teacher, a formative assessment is um, a more informal assessment, something that goes along with a specific lesson, or um, it's usually not, it, it could be considered like a quiz versus a test. But in experiential learning, um, it is more like, it's more informal. It, 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 it's, it's a way that you evaluate your students and they don't necessarily know that they're being evaluated. A summative assessment is the culmination of your learning at the end of a unit. So whether it's a formative or a summative assessment, all of my assessments of my students, they are always, always experiential. That means that they, the students are doing something to apply the skills that they're learning. And there are five main components of experiential learning thematic units. Um, the first is authenticity. So we want to make sure that when we're designing these units, that they are authentic. That means that they have relevancy to the students and that the students could then take the skills that they're learning and apply them in a real life situation. And sometimes it's possible for us to actually put real life situations into the unit. And I'll explain that. Complexity. So the, it builds upon uh, the, the skills and the lessons build upon each other until it becomes a set of skills at the end of the unit. Um, they require the student to use executive functioning and higher order thinking skills. So we want the students using that prefrontal cortex and we want them complex enough that they are using those actual problem solving skills, um, you know, cooperative learning skills, all of those skills that happen in the prefrontal cortex. Um, they are process or product oriented, which means that they require students to follow a process, a specific process to create a product based on specific skills and parameters. So we make sure that we scaffold the skills so that we have them practicing specific skills, but those skills are um, built upon from previous learning. Um, it's open-ended. So it requires the students not to come up with one specific answer, but there's lots of different ways that the students can get to a solution or an answer or finish their project. There's an element of creativity in there. Um, there. There are different pathways. They can use their brains in different ways and arrive at the same, or, or arrive at some sort of solution. Or 
a, a final product. Um, and it has a deadline. So just like real world projects have deadlines in the real world, the project must be completed and designed in the amount of time that you decide. Um, so there's lots of different ways that you can set these up and they can be done in a lot of different ways. For example, um, I design a, a thematic unit for world language much differently than I would design one for a global citizenship education class for social studies. But you could also do it for a book study. I mean, think about it. Like I have a Petit Prince book study that I do with students. That's a thematic unit. Lots of experiential learning tasks throughout. And then there's a final project at the end. The other key with um, designing thematic units is that you always start with the end in mind. This, this phrase goes back to when I was in grad school because when I was uh, doing my master's in elementary education, I had a professor that would always say, start with the end in mind. And I have always remembered that. You want to identify your standards. And they don't necessarily have to be the state standards or the professional organization standards or whatever. You can set your own standards and you can make your standards high. So you want to identify exactly what the students should be able to do by the end of this unit. And if you're using a curriculum, check your curriculum. Check your scope and sequence for your curriculum. Check the state standards. If you're um, if you're doing this for for a foreign language, check the ACTFL standards. I don't tend to follow the ACTFL standard standards as much as I follow the Common European Framework of Reference for World Languages, which is the CEFR standards. I really like those a lot a lot better. Um, but the ACTFL standards are great, and you know you can even check your specific state foreign language standards. So what should a first-year student know and be able to do at the end of the first year of study? Um, check those. And then see how you can break those down into units. Um, and again, make your standards high. Your students will rise to meet you. You know, wherever you set your standards, stick to them and be, you know, obviously take individual students um, learning into, into consideration here, but your students will rise to meet you if you set your standards high and you, and you stay with it. Um, and you can make accommodations for students without lowering your standards. So I, I always tell teachers, you know, keep keep those standards high and make sure that your students are rising to meet you on those. Um, and then the other thing that I think about um, is what subject areas are addressed, which, um, how can you make some cross-curricular connections? And how do you align those with your standards? Um, what do you want your students to actually do at the end? So what kind of project will help them do this? And, and how will 
you get there with them. Um, and, and deciding what kind of unit this will be. Will it be a book study? Um, are you going to do a vocabulary unit? What kinds of things are you going to put into um, this unit that are authentic? And then you'll decide how you have your how you will evaluate your students through form your formative assessments um, during each of the lessons, and then your summative assessment at the end. So you know this is super easy to do. And when I when I do thematic units with world languages, um, I call those vocabulary units. I don't necessarily um, you know I, I don't. I, I don't teach grammar individually, at least for the first two years. I do a lot of chunking of grammar, and I teach grammar as vocabulary. So um, I call these vocabulary units, although they do have grammar concepts in them. They do include, you know, pronunciation and culture and all of that. Um, but th just just to just for to name them as a type. That's what I call them is a vocabulary unit. So for example, um, I start to think about, and I, I plan my year um, at the beginning. And when you've been teaching a really long time, this is super easy to do once you've got it all planned. So I just do some tweaks here and there. And um, I do adjust throughout the school year for my students. Like if I find out my students are interested in a particular um, subject or, um, you know, musical artist or book or anything like that, that I do my best to integrate what they like in there. And the reason why is because I want to make it as relevant and interesting for students as possible. I want them to feel like they are involved in their learning and not, you know, that they're not just a, an observer, but an actual participant. Like they're not having stuff thrown at them, but they are an involved party in the lesson and in the unit and in the learning. So um, what I do is I think about, okay, what do the students need to know how to do by the end of the school year? And I have a curriculum that I use. Um, it is from Europe. And I go through the scope and sequence of the curriculum and I look and see what they've got. And I use a lot of different resources. There are tons and tons and tons of resources out there. I make sure that I don't have more than five lessons in a unit. Um, and a lesson doesn't have to be one 50-minute class period. It can go over um, multiple class periods, multiple days. Um, but um, I make sure that I don't have more than five lessons and I make sure I get everything in there. You know, sometimes you have to go over five lessons and that's okay, but I try to, to keep it at, you know, a maximum of five. Um, so for example, for my first year students, um, I do a unit on, we do a unit on school specifically, and talking about um, school supplies, um, school subjects. We use um, I like, I don't like, and we learn I have and I don't have. We learn the calendar. We learn, um, you know, my what's my favorite school subject. Um, integrated in there is the school system in France. Um, we do a lot of um, talking about um, – 
you know, what do you do before and after school, things like that. And then their final project is that they're going to make their school schedule. And I have a, a rubric for that. Um, and I like the use of rubrics because it tells the students exactly what I expect of them. What is going to get them that top score and what is not, it, what expectations I have for them. I'm very, very, very clear. I also have the project written out. This is what how um, split into, you know, preparation, presentation, um, and then um, a common sharing of it. So how I want it to look, what elements have to be there, um, and how we will interact with that project in class because it's not just them doing this and turning it into me, there's going to be a sharing element of that with the rest of the class. Whether it's, you know, a, a, an actual presentation, a video, a skit, some a, a puppet show. I love puppet shows. Um, things like that. Okay. Um, we also, for example, um, in my third year class, we do a unit on the internet and internet safety. And I have a lot of really great videos from France about, um, you know, internet safety and how you can stay safe on the internet and, and responsibility on the internet and, and how to find um, real news versus fake news. And um, we do something on, you know, how do you find your media sources? How do you, how do you get your news? How do you, how do you interact with um, people online, things like that. Um, so this is not just something that you can do, uh, with lower level students. This is something you can do with your upper level students. You could do one on travel. A lot of language teachers do one on travel. I mean, that's, that's like a, that's a very common one. The home and the family, making a family tree, um, a family album. We do one on, um, environmental, the environment and environmental response responsibility, um, ecological, um, I, it's, it's called just be ecolo and it's, you know, how to, how to be, um, responsible in the environment and protect the environment and, you know, uh, ways, transportation that doesn't, that, that that's better for the environment and going paperless and, you know, creating an avatar um, on the internet. We did that with the, the internet safety one. Instead of putting your real picture, we do food unit where we have a competition, a cooking competition at the end where, um, you know, it, it, there's lots and lots and lots of ways that you can design a thematic unit and what materials that you can bring into this so that this it's authentic and the students are actually applying their knowledge and actually in the teacher resources, I have a lot of my, um, a lot of my projects and stuff are already in there and I'm adding more and more every day because I'm, I'm revamping how I have them written, um, and for students so that the teachers can kind of see so that they're, um, Lang not language specific because right now I have a lot of them in French so I'm changing them into English so that they're not language specific and teachers can adapt them um, so if you're looking for resources for ideas for ways to do thematic units please feel free to go and look at our um, 
teacher resources. And like I said, I'm, I'm revamping. I'm in the process. It's a work in progress. Um, and I'm about to start traveling next week, um, despite the coronavirus. Um, so just, uh, you know, keep checking back because I'm, I'm, I'm adding more and more of that curriculum as we go along. Um, and I, I just, I really encourage you, um, if you're interested in learning how to, more about how to um, teach language or any subject, for example, because one of my favorite things to do, I actually love designing thematic units for global citizenship, education, and social studies and civics. So if you're interested in learning about how to um, design thematic units, please feel free. We have a training um, at Bon Voyage. It's through our Teachable account. I, I do the all of these trainings live as well, but I was getting a lot of requests to um, to put them online so that they're accessible for, uh, for everyone. And then, so it's called Performance-Based Assessment Through Thematic Unit Study, um, and it's on our website. Um, and I will, it's, uh, if you click on professional development, you'll be able to find it um, under the professional development tab at www.bvwla.com. I'll also put a link to it in the show notes. So um, that's all I have for you today. I hope all of you are well. I want to know what you think. What do you think about this coronavirus? Are you worried about it? Are you traveling with your students? Are you traveling yourself? Um, are you just not worried about it at all? Um, I also want to know about your thematic units. Um, we also have a brand new group on Facebook, which I will also put in the show notes, um, that is for language with the five senses teachers, but you don't have to be a teacher to be part of the group. Just interested in, um, in how we learn languages and this comprehensible input method, but this is a place for us to share ideas and talk about, um, talk about resources and methods and, and, and pedagogy and all those, uh, fun language teacher things. So, um, I will also put that information in the show notes for you, but it's called language with the five senses teachers on Facebook. If you want to search for it, um, thank you so much for listening today. And I hope that all of you are well, I will be in Fort Worth, Texas next week. So I am looking forward. If you are going to the GHC, um, convention in Fort Worth, Texas next week. Come and hear me speak. Come say hi to me. I would love to meet you. Have a great and wonderful week and I will talk to you next time.